You're listening to a fired up, fired up episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Sean. Uh, I'm Kyle Daigle. This week, sponsored by Fireball. It's it's the morning. This is is this the first time we've ever recorded in the morning? I think so. I think it's much better in the morning. Honestly, a lot of, a lot's different in the morning. Let's list it out. So, uh, the, the sun is up. The sun is up. Uh, alcohol. There's was, no alcohol. I was gonna say I'm not drinking. Yeah, but there's coffee, which kind of. I don't know. That's probably not good that it's just like, uh, oh, it, at night I'm drinking alcohol and in the morning I'm drinking coffee. And, you know, there's like a one hour window where I'm, you know, my body's in stasis in between. <laughs> it's, oh not my God. it's not even true, but it, it felt that way oh, today because that I felt so good, though. Yeah, I didn't. Well, last night I did not have a drop of alcohol uh, because, uh, well, one, it was Monday. But the, the more accurate reason is that I wanted to stay up and watch the uh, the NBA playoffs late game, which started at 1035. Oh, my God. I know, which is kind of, it, which is really long. And it went into overtime. Sounds about uh, right. Yeah, so so I got to sleep at about two o'clock this morning. So I just but but back to the the beverage conversation. All that meant is that I like shifted down any alcohol that I possibly like. Like we went out for Mother's Day, a late Mother's Day dinner with my mom. So I probably would have had a glass of wine to celebrate, but I didn't want to because I'm gonna get tired. But then this morning, because I'd stayed up till two, I end up drinking twice the coffee. So I'm just like shifting a quantity of liquid between <laughs> on this week's episode of Old White Guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyhow, so th- that's a difference. Uh, the sun's a pretty diff- big difference. The uh, the sounds are different. So for example, my dog will whine during the day because he wants to come out and like chase rabbits or whatever. Um, there are no frogs. There no are, frogs. There are bees, which there's, there's a possibility we'll pick up in the background because there's a flower right outside my window that they're pollinating presently. Uh, and the birds are loud. So a lot, of, a lot of differences on the noise. Turns out I've got more energy in the morning. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Shocker. Even with the, the 2 a.m. Uh, bedtime last night. Man. Yeah, and, you're I, fired, and you're super fired up in the morning. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I hate mornings generally, but this is the sweet spot. The like the ten thirty enough coffee got going for the day sort of stuff. That's been that that that's been going pretty well so far. So uh, the sun's out, which is nice. Uh, Connecticut's been under rain for I don't know a week, two weeks, week and a half. Uh, so I think all 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 in all, spring is here. I'm ready to rails the hell out of this thing. Yep. Well, let's get to it. So I hadn't done a good job this week of taking notes about what to talk about until I learned that I could just refer to what I'd said on Twitter, which apparently uh, my tweets are just uh, unintentional notes about what to talk about later in the week. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's get into our lightning round of what's going on this week. So here's something I said last night that I think is a uh, a good topic for the morning, which is... uh, I have been consciously thinking about giving the long answer instead of the short answer to virtually any professional question lately. Uh, and we talked about something uh, related to this a few minutes ago, but um, do you think about that? So in other words, if someone asks like, a, you know, why did you do X or tell me more about Y or, you know, what's up with this? Uh, do you optimize for sort of the punchy clarity of it? Or do you try to give the entire backstory on your answer? Uh, when, when, when you respond um, so wh- I think that one of the things I've, I've started doing with this is like basically when people ask me like in like issues or pull requests you know like 
hey, what about this like XYZ? And so one of the things that I used to do was like the punchy thing. Like here's like three or four sentences basically describing why done and then like what i've really started doing now is a lot more like going and getting all the related content and like linking to it as i go so that like it's a lot more ho a holistic of an answer so when a question's asked it's like here's what i think but here's also a link to this thing that describes that more fully and here's like this other thing so i definitely think that i've started skewing towards the more you know long answer like you're saying instead of just you know two two sentences three sentences this is what i think bada boom so here's my hack on it, which is like my <clears throat> life hacky way to try to get this right, which is I go against my instincts of what is funny. Because I think is what is funny is what's like not explained and like just punchy and someone has to like dig into it and then go, oh, hell, you know, that, that's funny to me. And at work, turns out that uh, the exact opposite is probably the right way to communicate about most things, which is like to explain everything. <laughs> to, to, to leave very little to the imagination. And I agree that providing references is super helpful. I've, I've sort of noticed that that's a difference now in, in that everything's so searchable. So like I mostly communicate by Slack, which you then can link to. So I can search Slack and GitHub. And uh, the time that it would take me to write, like I think we talked about maybe two weeks ago, XYZ and this channel or that pull request or this issue or that repo, it takes the same amount of time just to search for it. Yeah, and link to it. So I agree. I am using the same approach, and I think it's a good. I think it's a good communication style for a team because it reveals sort of the depth of someone's position pretty easily. You know, it's pretty easy to like assert um, conclusions. But I think I think a sort of like a uh, added benefit is that you are leveling the playing field in communication. You know, like like when you when you use like an acronym, for example, like if I'm like not entirely positive that every single person knows what that acronym means, like sometimes I'll link to it, you know, so I'll use the acronym or I'll use like the long form, the acronym and, and link it. And so suddenly like now I feel like the audience that can actually give you good feedback just grew because you've given enough information via links and references and everything else. And so I think that I've sort of been optimizing, I guess, for that, like the long answer is less for me, I guess like why I am obviously right and more like here's enough information that you could probably join this conversation uh, even if you're not uh, sort of entirely versed in what I'm up to, you know? I don't yeah. think it's going to let anyone in, but it, it helps bring people in that maybe don't have the complete context at first. Yeah, well, on that word. So it's like almost every conversation is mostly like context, 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 point, context, context. And I think that that's probably right, you know, that to err on the side of framing in more context, then you're better off doing that than to assume that everyone has the same context. Yeah. Um, just because the like, like, even if you think, you know, like, let's say we know each other pretty well, I'd still get it wrong a lot if I guessed at what things you knew or didn't know, or, you know, the degree to which, or maybe, you know, you know, it in a different way than I knew it. So we should, yeah. you know, sort of calibrate. So, and I've been thinking about this constantly lately because I've got a new group of people that I'm working with that are at like different levels of, I mean, just internal to the group, different levels of, of capability and experience and, uh, background etc so the amount of context required in almost all moments has shot through the roof uh i was using the phrase uh, i have a great uh teammate who uh i was using the phrase uh yak shaving pretty pretty uh 
vigorously uh, one day and uh just imagining you like repeatedly saying yak shaving shaving, (laughs) yeah just exactly so for lunch i'm gonna have some yak shaving and then (laughs) uh and he didn't know he didn't he's never heard the phrase before at least not in that context and so i was like oh man like you know here like here's a link and it was pretty funny because up until that point you know it was uh, a a bit of a shell game i'd assume you know to try and see like if you have enough context clues to 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 to, to join the conversation similarly like if you're in a meeting or a call where you only sort of are like there for 15 percent of the conversation right. <laughs> and like you know a question's being asked and you're trying to piece together enough context to to be able to get like give a valid response uh and so i think that like i i feel like the long answer is sort of the the micro version of that you know is just okay let's just sort of stem it stem as much as you can and ask for feedback at the bottom but I think that for you, especially uh, with your new uh, remote residency uh, project, uh, I think that I, I can imagine it's way more exacerbated because it's you, like singular, and then others. You know what I mean? Uh, in comparison to sort of where uh, in like a team or like a tribe where you know, if there's 10 people, maybe three or four of them automatically have the context that you have and you're sort of optimizing for the other six. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's been changing for me. So like presently the team is one, two, three, four. So f- mainly four people. And yeah, I agree that, that I'd be the outlier more so, but then as of next week, we're adding someone that has similar sort of, uh, you could assume similar context to me, at least somewhat similar. And then adding another person that's, you know, uh, pretty different than the other three. So yeah, it's, it's, and it's interesting to see as you add even one person, how that changes. And one thing that I've been doing, well, I think this is another, like, how does Slack influence work is I don't really write only for the current team anymore Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I know that it'll change like both like new people will come on that have different you know that that have different knowledge and experience than the current people and like this is actually happening so I've got these two people starting next week and they're going to have to um, read through and sort of get up to speed on things so if I if I wrote uh, my answers only to the question at hand and not to like the more general version of the question then you know, it's it, it, one of the big benefits of, of having these conversations in a sort of an open recorded way goes out the window mm-hmm. because the new person, you know, uh, won't be able to follow or at least yep. not as well as they could. Yep. Mm-hmm. Communication. Yeah, we have that problem to, or we've I guess the team that I'm on now, uh, we've sort of uh, specifically decided to try and do um, almost all difficult conversations and issues. You know, um, it, it, me, I guess uh, difficult is the wrong word, like meaty conversations and issues instead of using Slack for that, uh, only in so much that it is a better medium for kind of self-documenting. You know, it, it, we have team members that span multiple time zones, uh, a multitude of time zones. And so doing Slack uh, or using Slack for that sort of stuff can get a little bit tricky. So sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes there's just not enough context, but um, trying to move the sort of like, conversation or long answer into an issue has proven to be a valuable technique for us um, to, to bring that context to new people or cross team concerns mm-hmm. as well. You know, well, we integrate, um, we integrate GitHub into our Slack channels by, you know, like, so we map and repose to, you know, one channel. 
<clears throat> and so you kind of get the best of both worlds then in that case, because if someone makes a comment on a you know line in a pull request or on an issue or or whatnot, then like if you're just reading through Slack to see like what's going on, you'd see it. But uh, if you just wanted to see that pull request in the sort of code review and context outside of you know whatever other chit chat there is going on and all the other issues and all the other pull requests, then you can go to GitHub. And I think it 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 can make it's like a little bit noisy sometimes, um, but I, th I think it kind of works. You know, yeah. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't take that integration away. And I think that the fact that it posts an expandable version of the content is worth it for the space that it's taking up. Yeah, one of the things that I uh, I had I had a friend on Twitter ask me about is like, which I think is a really interesting idea is to for each pull request, uh, the first comment is a link to a private Slack room. Or maybe not a private Slack room, but just a Slack room. Yeah. And then you can like have like synchronous conversation about stuff that maybe is a high level and not like code review, like, you know, specific line by line comments, more just like why, how, that sort of stuff. And then that ultimately gets pushed back into the issue or the pull request rather. Um, it seemed like an interesting idea. I don't know how well it would work in context, but I, I think that one of the things I do miss about Slack is just some means to go like you know, a conversation happened now, like I kind of want to package that up and push it over here. So you can link to messages. And so usually that's what we do. We'll like find a message, link to it and push it, you know. Because yeah, usually then if you, I mean, even if there were other conversations interleaved a little bit, it'd be fine if you link to the, like the top of the thread and then right. you know, read right. down from there. Right, right, right. So usually that's what we do, but I'd, lo I'd love some means to, to you know, maybe a range or something would be good. Just something to say like, hey, we had a conversation about this and here's here's what we need. Yeah, like Storify for Slack or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Have I complimented you lately? No, you... Uh, did, you that fe did that feel weird? <laughs> no, and here's why. And you, this is actually an, uh, an object like lesson on this, is that... Uh, any compliments coming shortly after with like regret or acknowledgement <laughs> that you give. <laughs> so you can like hear the, the gears turning like, oh, shit. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to un undo this or yeah. sort of er erase its punch with acknowledgement. It's an open face compliment sandwich is what I like <laughs> to call it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> it's just here's a piece of bread. Hey, Sean, you did great. And here's the shit. And then and then there's just nothing else. It just ends right there. Open yeah. face. Yeah, I appreciate it. Let's do our first uh, sponsor of the day. It's Dev Bootcamp. Are you thinking about becoming a software developer? Well, you should check out Dev Bootcamp, the original short-term immersive software development program that transforms those new to coding into job-ready, full-stack web developers. You can learn front and back-end web development, teamwork, and leadership skills in a rigorous and inclusive environment. Dev Bootcamp has several locations around the country, and they're accepting applications now. You can visit devbootcamp.com slash ruby to learn more. They're up to about 2,000 graduates through the program. It's nine weeks remote part-time, nine weeks on-site full-time, and then a week of career prep. Um, so 19 weeks in total to help transition you from wherever you are in your uh, early career into a full-stack employed web developer. Again, devbootcamp.com slash ruby to learn more. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. With enthusiasm in the morning, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Kaboom, Rock on, Dev Bootcamp. Uh huh. 
Yep. So on the uh, the Slack topic, so I was thinking about uh, these uh, two new people that are joining the team, and they're both joining on to a new project, a project that's sort of underway, but programming hasn't started yet on okay. it, or not much. And uh, so I was thinking, like, there's quite a bit of context required. So it's like there's the commercial side of the situation, like, you know, what's my company? <laughs> like, what's the deal? You know, like, what are what are we what's obligated? What's the deal with airline food? Yeah, exactly. You know, what are we obligated to do? Like, how do we get paid? You know, what are the what are the must dos, uh, etc. And uh, and then there's the context around like the business itself, which wouldn't be inside of any of these commercial documents. And then there's like the technical points. And then I think for a meteor topic later, there's the like, how does this application fit into the broader business of my business, not just this one contract. And I couldn't figure out, I'm like, God, how do I, how do I do this? There's two different people at different time zones. Um, you know, it'd be a many hours conversation to get through. And then like, you'd lose a lot of it because you wouldn't have anything to reference and, you know, ugh. So I just had like a three hour conversation with myself in Slack and said, well, I'm going to pretend like there already is someone on this project and I'm going to, I basically monologued for three hour, I don't know how many words, probably. 4,000 words or something. Oh my God. Uh, about the background and like every consideration and like uh, that I could think of that had come up and like how this fit into other things and, you know, things to reference, blah, blah. Uh, that was a weird experience. And I think it probably was like the best thing I could have done. Um, Do you think that that was the best uh, like avenue to to put that context down or was it just that it was easy it felt the most natural for you to kind of like do it in your chat voice you know yeah 100% that okay like that that, that uh, a document would have, would have taken too much time because you would have felt compelled to like edit it massage put, it put a summary in you know like structure in paragraphs none of which I think would actually matter a hill of beans for comprehension of the content in other words, like I think that the comprehensibility of the chat version of the content is nearly identical to if I had like massaged a here's a ten page background document. Um, and to the point, actually, which I think is is really smart, is that to your point, though, smart is that that, that I wouldn't have written it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like you know, could have I taken that time, or would have I taken the time? Is probably the better way to say it to um, to actually make that document. I don't know, and I did take the time to you know do it in chat voice. So there we are. Hmm. It's also nice that it's in context, and that like if we had if one member of the team had been here, and then another member joined six weeks later, then we absolutely would have had that conversation in Slack. So it's a little arbitrary to say, well, because no one has joined, I'm going to like make a document. And then the searchability is a little off and the linkability is a little off, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's hard to see outside of maybe the sort of density and organization of the content, the advantage of, of doing it any other way than like searchable chat voice. Interesting. Well, yeah. at least that's what I thought yesterday, but yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah. not to say that I always do that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I, I know one of GitHub's old uh, sort of, I don't know, um, principles or whatever was was basically that you, you would put everything in issues and so you could go back in time at any given point and sort of look through, like, the understanding of the project, the understanding mm-hmm. of the problem, like, all that sort of thing. And I think, honestly, a lot, like, a lot of that has been lost over time, you know? I think as you have more people at... Uh, 
and you have more people working in the same general area, the fact that the the context or the backstory feels shared already, it, it feels like it's less necessary to go and like write down why, you know, or write down, this is what I'm thinking about right now. This is the, the backstory on why we're doing this, you know? Um, but it's probably, honestly, in some cases, more valuable at that size, only because teams change more frequently. You're more likely to, you know, have some, have some uh, shakeup that's going to require you to sort of start from the beginning. But um, I, I really like the Slack idea only in so much that like it, 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 it feels more okay to write things down in gross ways <laughs> in comparison to like a document where you're going to open a pull request or something and be like, here's this markdown doc about the business objectives. And like, you know, it's, it feels so uh, pointed. Like you have to spend so much time making sure that like, you know, grammar editing content is all correct that uh whereas slack i feel like there's a little bit more leeway i wonder at what point that falls apart but there's also a bit more breathing room for like personality in that like it's hard to make that like business objectives document not just super ultra dry yeah and like hard to get especially if it's long like this was you know not to make it just sort of punishing and while I don't think I did a great job of this in the Slack room, at least it's sort of, you know, you could just sort of throw in an inline aside, which happened a number of times, and it wouldn't feel awkward because that's what you do in chat voice. Or, you know, you'd say something stupid and you add an emoji, you know, to your own chat stream just to acknowledge the stupidity of it. Um, that, that, I think, actually makes the communication a little bit more human and accessible. And I've actually been thinking about this topic a lot lately. It just... It gives some pauses to the the monotony of the 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 sort of the business and tech content, which is just always relentless. You know, it just doesn't let up. Yeah, um, I was I've been thinking about this because uh, there's a episode of the um, remote residency that's coming up that's around uh, about the one month reviews of the guys that are going through the program. Mm -hmm. So I had to listen to the audio of those reviews. And like, I was like way too relentless. Like it was like, <laughs> it, there was not enough pausing. And even though I thought the content was good, like to make it good for the show, we had, we're, we're having to like add musical bumpers and like pauses and cutouts to diary <laughs> entries just to like, let it breathe a little bit. I'm like, I'm, su yeah. I'm I've suffocated myself here. <laughs> and I think that Slack is, is more like the, the conversation that is not like the one that I had, but that's a, you know, a, a bit more human and fun and organic than the document, which is a little bit more like the just, you know, trudge through the snow. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And, and frankly, anything that keeps me writing, I'll do. Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting though, like uh, psychologically how in chat, you know, I feel like you're more okay with uh, ambiguity and, uh, you know, pauses or whatever, where when you're, when you're talking in person or, you know, writing a document that is, those are usually bad traits. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the, I guess, I don't know if it, it might've been you, someone gave me advice basically when talking to people um, around sometimes difficult uh, subjects just to sort of talk less, like pause more, like let, let the awkward silence sit there and wait for like an answer, you know? Uh, and I, f I found that to be super helpful, but it's super uh, uncomfortable at first, you know, to be like, so Sean, um, what do you think is the biggest skill that you have? And like, if there's no answer or you start to like stumble or something, like just kind of let that sit and like let you think about your answer and come up with something before. I feel like the uh, an unnatural human inclination is to sort of jump in and start to 
you know well you know like try to sort of hedge or, or point the person in a direction so they don't feel like they're just sitting on an island but I, f- I found the opposite to be true uh even though it's completely uncomfortable whereas in chat you know you can ask a question and there could be like 10 or 15 minutes before a response happens and you're probably not worried that someone's like you know completely ignoring you or like you know what, what are they thinking right now i can't believe they haven't answered yet or whatever yeah I, so i definitely give that advice um, it must have been you then, because <laughs> yeah. I don't know who else did. <laughs> yeah, so I frequently give that advice because um, uh, is it for two reasons I've adopted that. And like maybe it's just my personality that I pause while speaking and I've like, you know, retrofitted these rationalizations of why. But I don't think that that's the case. I think I actually developed it for two good reasons that are like worth, worth thinking about. It's so like reason one is um, the cost of saying stupid things is the higher is higher than the cost of like that three second pause where someone's wondering if you're stupid so i don't think that that strategy works great is if what you ultimately say is stupid then it's just like they thought you were stupid and then you were stupid and then they were confirmed (laughs) but like i you know i've always been relatively confident that i would um deliver good content and therefore i'm like well okay, if someone's just met me, then they may be like, why is he pausing here? That's strange. Um, one time or, th- you know, three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but then after that, like no one ever thinks about it again because you calibrate yourself to like, oh, right, he doesn't like to say things he takes back. So he pauses. So, I mean, one, I think that's good for that. And then the second is back to what we were just talking about, which is that if you're a person that tends to communicate somewhat densely, you know what I mean? Like, like, like a, a lot of content per sentence yeah um then if you don't pause then you don't give anyone else a chance to you know either interject that what you said was impenetrable or think about it or respond Mm -hmm. so i see like all upside in pausing yeah yeah unless you end up dropping the ball later in which case it doesn't matter anyways (laughs) it was inevitable who cares yeah who cares (laughs) you know might as well take a break for a minute Oh, man. Yeah. All right. So I feel like I've been driving a little bit too much. What's up with uh, What's up with you this week? I mean, what's not up with me, Sean? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. So, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm starting a new uh, project and a new uh, role at GitHub. Um, I've taken a manager role uh, now. So Wait, we need a sound effect for this. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's the sad trombone from, uh, <laughs> from The Price is Right. <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be that one or like a... Like a um, uh, the prince has entered music yeah yeah what's the parable with the naked prince or he uh-huh. doesn't know he's naked that that one i think that his music would have been <laughs> exactly oh god yeah. that's your that's now your sound effect <laughs> yeah so uh i took a new role uh that's uh still technical but i i am uh managing people we do have managers at github it's an old it's an old uh wives tale that we do not have managers we've had them for quite some time um but we're uh we're sort of uh shifting a little bit with uh the platform so the platform and most of what i've been talking about thus far as Wait, do you realize we're recording here kyle yeah i do uh, i'm just just making sure 
sure. I know. Isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that I can actually talk about what I'm working on? Now? Know. My like, my like, uh, my knees got tingly. I didn't even know what was going on. <laughs> I know. Well, see, normally the stuff I was working on before, as 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 an engineer on the platform team or as a developer on the platform team, was uh, customer facing features. And so, you know, generally speaking, GitHub doesn't talk about them until they're out. And so, I have to wait until they're out and be cagey on the podcast. Um, but the platform team is is starting to look a bit more inwards. Like we're we're trying to say, okay, can we build a platform for GitHub's own engineers so they can build features against this platform? Uh, a, a more directly so i mean the easiest example is something like a client-side javascript framework or whatever where you would normally you know twitter calls its own api like that sort of stuff um we're not necessarily going in that direction but something like it but the benefit of it is that now uh i can actually talk about what i'm working on and be far less cagey about what i'm doing and talk about real examples and you can kind of follow along with the progress as we start to make a move towards that which i'm which i'm pretty excited about because it's been a bummer uh in some ways that on the podcast I've been unable to necessarily share as much as I normally would like to. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to it. So we're in the uh, just about second week, uh, kind of third week of this new structure, this new team, uh, this new goal um, to build a sort of an interface for our own people to use. Um, second week, so you must have an MVP up already. I mean, it shipped. Yeah, it's done. Everyone's moved over. We're, Nothing takes longer than two we've weeks. We've got nano services now. who are just uh-huh. skipped right over micro, uh, and now it's all nano services. So yeah, well, good um, for you. Yeah, each 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 method has its own process that runs it. And uh, lambda. Have just you heard lambda. of MapReduce? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, it's it's so far so good. So I'm hoping that in the next you know two two or three weeks, you can start talking a bit more about. Um, just specific stuff where it's not just Sean talking about what he's working on and me going, yeah, <laughs> I also have similar nondescript experiences with that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, now, to, now to be a bit more specific, and it's been fun. I mean, we've we've uh, also sort of generically, you know, talking about Rails five and Rails comp uh, recently. Uh, it sort of came top of mind that now that uh, Tender Love or Aaron uh, Patterson is at GitHub, which is super exciting. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, so he's he uh, he's been super great. Um, we we haven't had a chance to talk personally, but he did give a little talk about what he's up to and stuff. And uh, the, I think the hope is that you know uh, GitHub in general can be, be begin to get closer to uh, you know normal Rails and thus you know contribute back like a good citizen should uh instead of being stuck on old rails so uh yeah i hope there's a lot uh, that we can start to talk about uh from my personal experience and but also bring uh some people on to give some more information around the rails community given that our 20 minute interview with uh jay mcgavern went over pretty well with uh listeners and everything so uh overall i mean bright sunny morning i'm excited uh yeah really rah rah yeah i mean some changes at work which is exciting because i think it'll uh, be good, uh, both for GitHub and for the podcast. I mean, the podcast more importantly, um, right? But but then, yeah, a bunch of other stuff too going on that I think is uh, exciting to start uh, talking about. What's Aaron working on? Um, so Aaron, I believe, is on like the systems team, but he's essentially like Railsifying GitHub. Uh, so going through all of our sort of like. Uh, github's a special snowflake code around rails and saying like does this really need to be snowflake can we just use what rails has now can we contribute back to rails to, oh man to... he's he's perfect for that yeah yeah and so he shared a couple of examples um uh at an engineering all hands that were pretty great but um i, th- I think that's great because i think that you know 
one of the things that I sort of struggled with at GitHub just doing some open source stuff is just it's difficult because we've kind of backed ourselves a little bit into a corner with how everything that we do uh, works in this like five years ago kind of way. And so it's hard to open source some stuff that's not completely separated um, because, you know, it's relying on like Rails 3, 2, 8, plus GitHub, you know, plus all these things that we've backported and, and, and schmutched around with. So um, so hopefully you can see a lot more of that and then I can start to share a bit more open source stuff as well. Um, It'll be interesting if he finds really any examples that either can't be accomplished with current Rails features or couldn't be abstracted into right. core Rails features in a reasonable way. I think, I think honestly... It, it, I, my impression is that a lot of it will be the second one, right? Like there's some things that we could probably already have for free if we were just on the newest versions. And then I think that there's a lot of, okay, we're not the only ones to solve this. And so or like the odds are a problem we're having is a problem that other people are having. And so maybe there's a way we can, you know, abstract it out and, and, and offer it back to the community. And they might say, no, thank you. But um, at least we'll be better that for, for keeping that separated, even as a gem or something that we would use ourselves instead of, you know, monkey patching everything. Mm -hmm. Now that's fun. Well, I hope we can follow along because uh, with his progress, because I, I, I can imagine a lot of interesting nuggets will come out of it, both like the same aha that GitHub may have about, oh, look, we could use that thing. That would be interesting to know because the likelihood is that, you know, many people don't know about those same nuggets. Right. And, you know, I, I would find it super fascinating to see how how uh, he would go about the process of sort of expanding Rails to take into consideration the improvement that GitHub has made. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hopefully as we get moving along, we can I can uh, reach out and maybe have him on the podcast. That'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I would like that. You know what else I'd like? To, to pause and tell you about Braintree and their V.0 SDK. Uh, they're the second sponsor today. I want to thank them for supporting the show. Braintree is code for easy online payments. If you're building a mobile app and searching for a simple payment solution, you should check out Braintree. Their V.0 SDK makes it easy to offer multiple mobile payment types. You can start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, credit cards, and more, all with a single integration. All it takes is one small snippet of code, and you're all set in less than 10 minutes. Plus, Braintree offers quick, knowledgeable developer support if you have any questions. Good news, you can learn more and get your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. You just have to go to braintreepayments.com slash rails podcast again braintreepayments.com slash rails podcast you uh get your fifty thousand dollars in free transactions that way uh check out their example code learn how to get support from their developer support team and uh there we go off on your way thanks to them for sponsoring <laughs> go, go to go to your work now yeah yeah and back to work there let, <laughs> let me know in 30 minutes when you're next ready for the next issue son <laughs> yeah when you're ready for the next fifty thousand dollars <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we got a meaty topic. I think we're on to our meaty topic for the day. Mm -hmm. The main course. Yeah. Also contributed by you. Oh, was it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so which, which meaty topic are we going with, Sean? Wait, this, highly, this highly planned episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. Let me quote you from like five hours ago <laughs> or whenever it's 12 hours ago. Didn't you say... Uh, 
sort of the tension between moving fast and breaking ah, things yes. and to be slow, steady, and methodical. Yes, I did say a lot of those words in a highly unedited Slack sort of way. Here, uh, le- let me uh, star <laughs> the comment in Slack so it, it comes to more attention, and I'm also going to pin this Oh, comment. boy. There it is. Look at that. Bam. I pinned the message, so now it's more clear what we're going to talk about. Oh, man. Yeah, so, I mean, so like I said, one of the things that we're starting to do is just try and figure out, is there a way we can expose an interface that internal application engineers can use to build features at GitHub? So, um, not not quite the API that we expose to third parties, something a, a little different, but but still, still generally the same idea. Um, and one of the problems or, you know, the concerns when you start on new projects like this is, how much work do I want to front load? And how much work do I want to wait until I feel like I sort of understand more about the problem that we're trying to solve here? Um, And so, you know, I I think there's a, a natural tension there that is relatively good, but... It's sometimes it's hard if you don't have clear guidelines or sort of objectives or goals or whatever to decide when to say, nope, this isn't something that we need to solve right now. Or, yeah, we should really slow down, stop and solve this problem uh, because it'll, it, it could potentially cause us more pains later on down the road or something like that. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's sort of like looking at... Um, things like active record right and do we want to avoid exposing active record through this interface since we know we would like to sort of break off um or is it just and eh, you know what's let's ju- let's just use it and we'll just keep moving um you know and, and as we go along we'll get more context around how we're trying to solve the problem and come back later and actually make the change um i think it's been a it's sort of an interesting give and take but I, i'd be curious sean uh sort of you know in your experience what what that's what that's been like it it seems like much of your work is is um i don't want to say slow and steady as like a bad thing but it's like you kind of know roughly where you want to go and then you write a test you you write the code you ship it and then you sometimes will go back and and realize you want to make a change or whatever but is that accurate or um or maybe said another way like how much sort of like proof of concept code or code that you you know you're writing that you're going to throw away at some point uh you know do you write well i sort of see so a couple things so first i would beware anyone beware of anyone that sells a simple answer to this question because i think that there is no simple answer to like should you move fast and break things or go slow and steady i think you know trade-offs and and uh, exactly the cost of that trade-off and whether it's worth it seems extremely situation dependent to me. So sort of describe how I've dealt with it. So I work on a number of different applications. Sometimes uh, I'm building things for other people and sometimes I'm building things for me, like, like businesses that I own or I'm a partner in where you know I build technology that that no one paid me to build and I'm not selling. It's sort of supporting a business that I either run or I am um, a partner in um, that business. So I kind of uh, use each of the projects to test. The, the way that I sort of do it is imagine stair steps where like every project benefits from what all the other projects have done. And in general, I, I kind of stick to the well-worn path back to your point of like, I, I build things using techniques that are that I have because the patterns repeat themselves across the project so much like I'm like okay I'm gonna go with what I know is basically right with a technique that I know is basically right because it's been right in all these other areas except for one thing usually 
you know, and I'll pick the area where maybe I've been a little bit frustrated with the friction of, of the approach that I've used, or maybe um, the abstraction is, has felt a little off in some of the other projects. And I'll say, okay, I'm gonna basically keep to my usual cocktail recipe, except for this area where I'm gonna try to push the sort of state of the art and how I do things forward. And then like, you know, in other words, like try to try to minimize the amount of uh, possible breakage, except for, you know, one area that I can apply some focus to try to push that ahead and then take the lessons that I learned from that, like exploratory trip in the one part of the app and then kind of port it over to the other applications as they go through their normal development cycle, which is a long way of saying I try to mostly stay in the cautious lane except for one area at a time where I'll use just one application to sort of push forward and figure out what's safe before I sort of replicate it to everything else. That makes sense, that, that approach? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that that's worked pretty well. I think that the, the, the only bummer in it is that it, uh, you know, may, maybe sometimes uh, I could explore a little bit quicker in some areas, but, you know, the cost of, uh, the the cost of having to either undo a bunch of code um, or make massive changes to this you know set of applications is pretty high, so I try to try to minimize that given that I'm going to bear the brunt of it most of the time and and uh, you know be relatively cautious except for those you know that one area at a time give or take. Um, yeah, I think that you know one of the things I've been trying to do when thinking about this is just figuring out how I can go about. Um, like minimizing but also acknowledging risk you know so which kind of sounds like what you're saying i mean if you're if you're going to make like a big change only in one place you're sort of acknowledging that like i'm okay accepting the risk because the risk is is sort of finite and acknowledgeable by doing this so like i'm only going to change the code in this uh one sort of path uh, and then if that works out well i'll go and replicate that to the rest of the application uh or whatever um th that that seems to be working relatively well for me and my uses thus far um but it's been something that you know I think at times is difficult when it seems like, okay, you know, maybe it is better just to sort of replicate that across the application and then give it like some load, like not traffic, just sort of, you know, use it, like use it a bit more and then be able to go back and go, okay, you know, now that I've been, now that I've had this in for long enough, I can kind of understand what the, you know, what the pains are or whatever. Um, yes. So to me, that's like, I guess the, uh, the biggest part of the give and take is figuring out at what point by moving fast, meaning I'm going to put this across the application or across the sort of the, the project I'm working in and then go back and iterate on the entire application or, you know, go, okay, I'm only going to do it in this one spot and I might get some confirmation bias by only doing it in this mm -hmm. one spot because it works for this one spot. Uh, and then I go and replicate it and it breaks. It's sort of, you know, which way is better and obviously like you said there is no like there, that's a misnomer there is no better way um it's more how do you go about measuring and thinking about that and when you want to you know take the larger risk by propagating it all over thus moving faster potentially um versus doing it in just a couple places uh and you know, in potentially getting the wrong answer, uh, the, building the wrong abstraction, writing the wrong code, uh, in order to, in theory, reduce risk and be a little bit more slow and steady. Yeah. Well, I think that the the fact that I have this sort of like a, a armada of applications means that like I couldn't replicate across all of them really ever that quickly. 
So I think the way that I manage the particular tension you just said is to, is to let's say I had a new way of, I'll give an example, like a new way of um, uh, like authenticating relationships for JSON API includes. Um, I'm like, okay, I've added a new way to do it. And it's like elegant, but I've got a performance concern in some situations. Well, and let's say it works okay for the first application that is, you know, who knows, smaller or bigger or more narrow or whatever than some other. So then when I then port that approach to a second application, to your point, I, it's not uncommon to then learn, oh, right, like it was the right answer for that right. one because that one's a little different. But given that it's only one more application, and let's say there are 12, like in total, you know, that I've, that I've got in my little armada. Um, so now I've only got two of of them to deal with. And maybe the second one then makes a slight improvement to the approach uh, versus the first. And at that point I can either, you know, make make a change to the to the original approach and port that back to the first application. Or, you know, maybe it's something that can be gemified. Maybe it's not like a pattern, but a library. In often cases, frankly, it's not that anymore. It used to be more common that that'd be the case, but most of those libraries already exist yeah. now. Um, so maybe it's a pattern, in which case, like I, I kind of like update the, the pattern and then hopefully backport it to the first one, or don't, because if it was like okay in the first place for the first one, well, it's okay. So I try to like kind of assess: did I learn something that's just revealed an inevitable problem from something I've already done, or didn't that problem didn't rear its head, or um, is that is that other problem just is like a little application that has very little traffic, where it's more important than it's right, than it's fast. In which case, yeah. whatever, who cares? Yeah. I'll yeah. just keep it the same. Yeah. So I, I kind of just try to constantly check in and say, like, okay, you know, which area do I feel like it's acceptable to take risk and try something new, where you know the surface area of the break wouldn't be that big, and then you know, can I focus on that application primarily, sort of keeping an eye towards the greater you know, abstraction and then don't sweat too much doing that because I know that when I try to port this pattern to something else, it'll reveal itself and then, you know, I'll deal. So that's, that's kind of the approach I use. Um, and then a separate, I think a separate category of things that I think about is, is kind of how fancy to make a feature when I'm working on it, which I think is a different um, angle on the same question about like, you know, move fast and break things or be cautious. And like the thing I've noticed is that I just don't often come back and work on a feature once I've cracked it open for a while. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like let's say there's a two day period, like I'll give the example, I was implementing a notification and like webhook engine for an application this week where webhooks are a big deal. And just last night I was thinking about, should I give the so, so given that the application uses JSON API and JSON API has a very specific interface to define both which fields to include and which relationships to include, um, uh, you could, in addition to specifying like the webhook URL to post to, you could also pretty easily just expose those parameters to the serialization process for the thing that's going to get posted. And like the question is, well, I don't know if I actually need that this second. And frankly, the consumer could always make that second request themselves. So like, it's not that big of a cost to say like, oh, okay, I, I received a webhook with this serialized object and now I need its various relationships. So I'll make like an additional call back to the server to get those. 
And so it's like kind of a bit of an optimization to allow them to specify the queries, you know, the 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 param the arguments basically to serialization then, like when they set up the webhook. But I know from experience, I'm not going to come back and actually do that that often. Yeah. So like maybe while I'm thinking about it and like working on it and testing it and whatever, I should just do it. So like this tension between like you're not going to need it and uh, well I'm working on it now, so might as well make it nice is the other area that I think about a lot on this one versus like of the, the, the tension between going fast and, and, and being cautious. Um, what, what's your bias there? Do you, do you tend to say, well, while I'm working on it, I'm going to like fancy it up or do you try to go minimal set and wait for the pressure and then maybe come back later? Generally minimal set and wait for the pressure. I mean, if, if I'm touching yeah. a piece of code that just like you know if i'm gonna make a change or add a feature and i uh, uh, immediately feel some pain then i'll definitely dive in and you know try and try and make a fix or make a change that allows me to do what i'm trying to do better but generally speaking if if i'm not sure that you know we're gonna need to go this way or make this change or whatever um i kind of just let it ride you know i feel like code like i don't know i've never worked in a project that is like so well factored that you like truly have a class that like sits there for like years or something is just never touched like at all in any way. And so, you know, hopefully at some point <laughs> we'll be good and we can do that. But uh, at this point it just hasn't been that way. And so I, I, I try to wait until there's enough pain or I, or, or something obviously shows itself. Um, so that way I can sort of make the change. But I, I kind of find that way, I, I work that way generally anyway. Like if I don't know how to approach a problem or a class, like I'm not the kind of person that likes to sit down and sort of tinker with a bunch of different options and go, ah, here it is. Like I'm more um, like uh, cerebral about it. Like I'm much more in my head around like options and trying stuff out. And then I'll go, okay, I think this works and I'll write it down and then see what changes I can make. So I think for me personally, my structure is definitely much more sort of, you know, uh, wait and see and, and, and figure out, figure that with more information, more time, more experience, more uh, code examples, it'll be more obvious the changes to make. But uh, obviously that that's the best case scenario for me. It's, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes like, you know, if there's enough bugs or enough pain, you kind of have no choice but to go in and fancy something up, uh, as you said, without, uh, without all that. But I definitely lean towards the wait and see approach. Like, you know, there will be more changes here, probably even product changes. So let's not be too worried up front until it sort of seems inevitable. Mm -hmm. Well, there, I think that the class of features where I feel more, um, uh, less certainty rather about which to do are the class where I am, my confidence of what the solution is, is high, but the pressure to like, to add it now is low. Mm -hmm. Like so, so th these serialization arguments are a good example of that. Like I'm I'm basically positive that that's a good feature. Mm -hmm. You know, right? like like I, you know, consume web services or web hooks, I know what these are going to be used for at least to some degree. And the subset that I know what it's going to be used for absolutely could use this. Right? Like they because to avoid that sort of trip back to the server to get the the additional information. Um so like my confidence that that feature of like what the right design is, is relatively high, especially since JSON API is like a standard you can kind of hang your hat on on this point. Yeah. Um, it, what's, so the only question is, is it needed? 
And like the, 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 the thought process I go through is how much time am I going to spend? Uh, here are the questions I'd ask. How much time am I going to spend like just even thinking about this versus how long does it take to implement it? Yeah. And if it's like not that long to implement it, like that one, maybe an hour or something, right? Uh, maybe an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. So an hour and a half. And that's not that long. Um, but of course they add up. And uh, so I try to ask that question. And then the second is like, is there any dependable feedback mechanism that will tell me that I, that, that like not having this is causing pain? Now, in this case, this would be like consumers of the webhook asking, well, do I think that's really dependable? Not really. Because like, you know, people tend to ask about things that they believe are possible. And I mean, if someone is familiar with JSON API, uh, they, they may say, hey, you should just, you know, allow us to specify the serialization parameters, you know, that are that are used here. But they may not even know if, if you know, the backend could handle that. And it, it is a long way of saying that if I don't trust the feedback mechanism, like I don't really believe that I'd ever find out that there's pain because it's missing and the effort is like medium or lower and my confidence that the feature is is right, you know, is high, then I tend to implement it. Mm -hmm. Just because then I'm like, well, if you add that up times all the features, you end up with a lot of nice little details that are the sort of things you never get feedback on that, that are like kind of unquestionably goods. Yeah. Um, whereas if you always make the choice in the other direction, which is like, hey, I'm going to feel the pressure on this before I change it, um, then you end up with like a, you know, like a Toyota Corolla kind of deal where it's like, <laughs> it's like fine, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like obviously doesn't have a tremendous amount of thought on the details, like all tricked out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and maybe that's what you need sometimes. Yeah. yeah, and it definitely, it definitely also matters, like, you know, how much sort of leeway you have to go back and do the gross, uh, you know, the, the gr I don't want to say the gross, but like the bigger change, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I think that's a big part of it too. A, a lot of these teams and projects don't have that, and it, you know, and so doing what you can up front sort of mitigates, it's like a, a little investment that you're not entirely sure is going to pay off, but it probably won't hurt you, <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, but in comparison to just assuming like, yep, I can always go back and, and change this, which is probably a very poor assumption. Well, I've learned too that, that however like small, I think the context is that's required to implement a feature. Like in the moment I'm like, oh, okay. Like this would be easy to come back to my ability to estimate that is awful. Because when I come back to something that I wrote three months ago or a year ago, God forbid, a year ago, um, <laughs> and I look at it, like it, it takes a while to even have any memory of what I was working on on some things. Yeah, yeah. If it's not something that I'm like sort of on constantly. Now, this may be a, a problem that is a little bit more specific to the kind of work I do where I have a number of applications that are like somewhat unrelated, um, where it can be a little bit difficult to sort of load back into memory like oh my god what what are all the considerations on this thing and you know that that goes into my math too on this which is like well i'll never be in a better position to implement this than right now probably at least to some degree unless it's something brand new where i'm not that confident about what the right approach is but if it's something i kind of know well if i've got it all loaded into memory i'm like relatively speaking in an amazingly good position to implement it versus what i'll be in at any point in the future where i happen to like you know enter this class or 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 feature set in the application and feel like i could change it and um you know kind of like while i got it open i might, might as well tinker a little bit tends to be where i come out but 
like you said, there there's a cost to that, and I don't always know that's the right um, bias. Yeah, I think this parlays into next week's show a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, around, well, which you know, is like a, a big version of that. Right, right, right. Just you know, when 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 do you decide to uh, take a bib? a big abstraction out. We talked about this a little bit before, uh, you know, in previous shows and we'll definitely dive in very specifically next week, but you know, a little, a little bit is, you know, how much do I invest now versus how much do I clean up as I go and wait? Uh, the bigger version of that is, do I start with a generic system service library or do I abstract it from a application that I'm running? Mm -hmm. Sean, Sean, you will be able to share much more, uh, next week. Yep. And this may be the first time we ever actually knew what we were going to talk about a week in advance. Sean, there's some things you just don't talk about on the podcast. I'm and feeling, one of them is our planning. <laughs> I'm feeling uncomfortable with progress. I, it's, hey, man, it's so far so good. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything uh, to promote or mention or plug? Nope. Nope. Uh, just normal uh, K Daigle. Uh, follow me on Twitter, GitHub, uh, anywhere that's relevant. Oh, you didn't switch it to Mr. K Daigle now that you're a manager? <laughs> it's uh it's k daigle esq now actually <laughs> uh-huh. you should put like your um your do you guys have like a like a acronym heavy uh job classification co- uh, code at github like i'm um, a k daigle underscore yeah you know, mgr to sr <laughs> that's yeah, what I, you should be yes that's it's something like that so let me go change my handle real quick <laughs> oh that'd be pretty oppressive if everyone in their like slack channel had to have their their like rank and serial number yeah yeah for sure (laughs) all right Uh, well i think uh between now and i I may have said this last week but this is definitely true now between now and the next episode i believe that the uh the first episode of the remote residency is going to be published ah yes I think I'll, I'll have that as its own thing and probably drop episode one into this feed too. So yeah, I've given it, I've given it a listen and it's definitely, uh, definitely worth uh, listening to. It's a, it's different than this show. I would, I would, I would call it much more like, uh, excuse excuse the comparison if this is not what you'd like but <laughs> the closer to like this american life or serial a little bit more story driven which i think is a huge uh plus uh <laughs> so uh if you if you kind of like following along in a more serialized story instead of uh two hacks yakking all day uh i would definitely uh go and check out the remote residency from sean kyle you should not ex- uh, assume that i know what yakking is as we talked about previously um have you heard of vomiting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I seen. And thanks for the context. Anytime. All right, that's enough for today. I am barely known on Twitter if you want to say hi. Adios. <laughs>